Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're going to start worship, and we ask that if you're able, would you stand with us, and let's give God praise.
giving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Sin weighed upon your shoulders. 
Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad you could join us today. For those who are joining us in person, you should have received a bulletin on your way in. On there, you will find our Connect card. If you are visiting us for the first time, we encourage you to take a moment and fill out that Connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out the Connect card so that we can get in touch with you and keep you updated with what's going on in church. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. We'd love to be praying for those needs. You can drop these cards off on your way out in the back in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. At LJCC, we want to walk together in our journey of seeking after God. If you are just beginning in your faith, desire a deeper connection with God, or are simply curious about the Christian walk, then please join us for our worship and prayer night an intentional time devoted to praising our Lord. Our worship and prayer night will take place on Thursday, June 15 at 6.30 p.m. There will be songs, prayer, and a time to meet with others. Let's worship the Lord together.
these military families that are mainly over at the Marine Corps Air Station, uh, Miramar, are young families. They're away from their own families. And, you know, having a baby can be a little bit of a daunting experience. So we provide baskets for these families. The baby baskets are comprised of a lot of different little baby items. We have baby gowns, little onesies, little booties. We have the normal things like baby wipes or baby powder, baby lotion. And we try and give these baby baskets out every month. So it's wonderful to be able to stand in that gap for a moment to be able to donate that sort of thing to them. And they're so appreciative. The idea that others would care and have compassion, that's what Jesus wants us to be, is compassionate. We respect our service members so much because of what they do for our country, the sacrifices that they make, that we want to be able to give back. They are our neighbors, and we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to bless them and to encourage them and let them know that there are people who do love them and care for them. Now it's my turn. Good morning, everybody. Wasn't that video fantastic? Is, is Janet here? Janet here? Oh my gosh, that was a fantastic video. Good job, Joshua. Janet, she looks like an absolute pro on video. Um, good, good morning. I, it was interesting on the way in here, someone said hello, pastor, to me, which, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, here I am. I'm up front, so I guess that's the title for today. But just to let you know, I'm a normal dude, I'm not a pastor. Uh, yet, just to put you at ease, I have done lots of ministry. For 10 years, I spent time with college students doing ministry. And uh, 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to lead a church for a year and a half. Is this interim situation. It's supposed to be for two weeks, turned into 18 months. And I don't know if, if you ever feel this way in your jobs or in your life, but sometimes you're in over your head. Uh, sometimes you're in a, in a scenario or you're given a responsibility that you don't really have what you need to do it. Uh, does that sound familiar? Uh, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, I think partially knowing that we're going to do communion later and I'll lead us into communion, that's one of those things that r reminds me personally that I'm, not, I'm just kind of uh, pretending a little bit up here. This, I didn't go to school to lead communion or to lead liturgy. Uh, I did go to seminary for a few years, but I dropped out when I had a third kid, so I didn't complete it. Um, but there was this time when I was leading this church. It's called Torrey Pines. Some of you were there, and, and uh, I saw you there. Uh, there was two services in that church, and every Sunday, two services. The first service was relatively informal, more like probably how we do things here on Sunday mornings. But the second service was what's much more formal, like suit and tie, and, and there was like there was a lot of standing up and sitting down, a little bit a la Catholic. Uh, but myself and the and the worship leader is a good friend of mine. Um, we, we didn't as much prefer that second service, if that makes sense. And so there was this one Sunday we were just like, man, we got to, you know, just got to get through this was kind of the vibe. And I just said, you know what, I, that's lame. I don't want to just get through this. This is worship and this is God. I said, so what if we made this a little bit more fun? Now, here's an example of why I'm definitely not qualified to lead a church. Uh, I had this idea that we ended up doing for months where one of us would, every Sunday, would come up with a mildly inappropriate word <laughs> that the challenge was for one of us up front to kind of slip that inappropriate word into a prayer, into a sermon, or into like he would lead worship and then transition between songs. And there were, there were times, so many times, where I would start giggling before I would, like, if, if I got to do the inappropriate, and I won't give you any examples, maybe after I'll share some, but you can imagine some inappropriate words, that I would start giggling in the, in the front of the church while I'm, while I'm about to say this thing, and then I would say it, and I'd hear him just like kind of explode in laughter 20 feet away. And there was this one uh, Sunday where he was doing something up front, and, and he, he kind of slipped that word in, and it made perfect sense, and I just started like, I don't know if you've ever got the giggles when you're not supposed to, like at a funeral or something. I got the giggles up front, and, and, that, and that service they had the, the pastor sit on stage the entire service. So there was no hiding. There was no, I was completely exposed and I couldn't stop giggling. And right afterwards, uh, an older gentleman came up to me and very appropriately looked me in the eyes and said, I know what you guys are doing and you need to knock it off. <laughs> I said, and we never did it again. But uh, I have to tell you, it was some of the most fun services that he and I had just trying to beat each other in that game. Again, why I'm not qualified to be up here uh, sometimes in, in life, uh, and again, 
Maybe you've had this experience at work where you're given a, a task or you're uh, given a responsibility and, and this sort of panic sets in because you don't, you don't have what it takes. You, you don't know what you're doing. Maybe you're called upon in a meeting to speak a, a perspective or point of view and you're not prepared at all. It's that kind of horrible feeling deep down that I don't belong here. I don't have what it takes. I'm not qualified. I don't have the competence that's required of me. Uh, there was a moment a, a few years ago, at, now I lead this company that works predominantly with schools and, and kids, uh, but we also have this offshoot of working with veterans, helping veterans transition out of the military. And we uh, walk veterans through this pretty deep process, this introspective process to understand the story of their lives, where they've been and how it shaped them and uh, the kinds of people they want to be. And it's, it's, it's essentially a, a narrative approach to looking at your life. And uh, eight years ago was the first time I started working with these guys. Uh, mostly, uh, they're these special operators called Navy SEALs. And the first night, I was invited to come work with these guys for three hours, a three-hour session with a handful, about half a dozen Navy SEALs. And I didn't really know much about them besides what I'd seen on the movies at that point. But I was, one, I was warned, you're going to have about two minutes to lose the audience, and, and they're going to be real tough on you. And I said, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot. And right before I went into the room, I had said, you know, you don't need to introduce me. I've, I, I've always been a little bit as a speaker. Uh, I always feel awkward about um, biographies and these long introductions, Scott, because I think you all know that I wrote that, right? Like, every time a bio has ever been read about somebody, you know that that person wrote it, even though it's in the third person. So I, I just said, you know, don't do the bio, just let me start working with them, which was a mistake. Because in the military community, authority matters. And credentials are a part of how you get authority. So I just walked up there. Hi, guys. My name is Scott. I'm going to be working with you for the next three hours. And we're going to, we're going to get real deep and vulnerable. We're going to talk about our feelings. And we're going to explore what we've been through. The exact wrong pitch to a group of special operators, uh, elite warriors. I, and I, just, I, I wasn't prepared. And within less than a minute, uh, one of the guys raises his hand. And I, I don't know if you can imagine Navy SEALs, whatever you imagine, uh, most of them aren't kind of like the elite warrior guys. That they, they are more, uh, they're all shapes and sizes. There's not a cookie cutter of a Navy SEAL. But this guy was exactly what you would imagine, a giant man with tattoos everywhere and muscles and just intimidating face. And, and he was a master chief of one of the biggest SEAL teams for years. And he raises his hand and says, sir, to me, you don't know what you're doing here, do you? And he said, you are asking us to do something that we cannot and will not do. And I was not breathing at that point. <laughs> there was no breathing. There was just, uh-huh. He said, we are quiet professionals. We do not talk about what we've done and where we've been. That's a part of the ethos of this community. And he stopped and looked at me. And I looked to the back of the room to the guy that was hosting this, the guy that was in charge, who I'd said, don't introduce me, don't let them... And I looked at him with the biggest fear in my eyes. The, the most, would you please help me to that guy. I wanted him to say, hey, time out. I'm sorry. Uh, Scott is here for a good reason. He does have the qualifications. I wanted this guy to vouch for me. I wanted him to help me, to rescue me. And he just looked at me and went like this. <laughs> good luck. I don't know what you should say. And I just looked at the guy. And I remember thinking, he's right. I don't belong here, I don't know this community, and I started wrong, I started poorly. And I looked at him and said, sir, I, I know we're just getting started, but if you were to give me at least another five or ten minutes, I think I can prove to you that this is worthwhile and that you need this. Would you please? And he looked at me and said, okay. And everyone else in the room was like a collective kind of breath, and they all looked at me and said, go on. And maybe you've had a moment like that where you realized how exposed you are. It's a terrible, terrible feeling to be asked to do something that you don't feel qualified for. It's a terrible feeling to be exposed. That fear of, I don't know if that's humiliation or rejection, goes really deep. This morning, what we're going to talk about is what we're supposed to do here as believers in God. What are we supposed to do as Christians? What is required of us? What are our responsibilities? And I think it gets a little mixed up sometimes when there's people up front and people down there. 
Because what the hidden, kind of implicit message is, there's people up here who are responsible for the big important stuff. Communion, preaching the word, leading in worship. But the rest of us, we're just here to get comforted or to be talked to. And in fact, that's not the whole thing. In fact, the whole thing is we are all on podium. We all have a responsibility and we all share it. And yet, there's this uh, uh, kind of threshold of, uh, I think, development, of vision, of responsibility that we need to push through. And so this morning, the intent is to make you a little uncomfortable. And I hope you don't mind, because I'm going to be gone after today. I'm not coming back for like a month. I want to push us to reconsider, potentially, our role and responsibility as Christians. We are all meant to be disciple-makers, It's embedded in the scriptures. So let me read from uh, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Jesus uh, with the 12 in in verse 16. Then the 11 disciples, uh, sorry, Judas was gone at this point. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is the resurrected, revived Jesus. He is back. He had died. Now he's back. Then Jesus came to them and said this to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and he's speaking to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a common Bible passage. It's something that we talk about. If you've been to church more than a few times, you've likely heard this. We are all meant. These 11 were proxy for us. We have been given the same commission. This is called the Great Commission. We are given this mission uh, from Jesus to us to not just sit and be comforted. The mission is not to just to come to church a lot. The mission is not to be good people have good morals. The mission is not to vote a particular way. The mission is not to be tidy neighbors. The mission is not to be really sweet and kind. The mission is to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them, everybody, to obey what Jesus commanded. That's the mission. What does that look like, though? How do we do that? What does that mean, especially for those of us who don't have the name badge that says pastor? who don't have the, the, potentially the, uh, the qualifications that our, that our culture has laid out of seminary and training. What does it look like for us to step into this? Because I believe, deep down, all of us want to make a difference with our lives. I think all of us want to know that our lives count. I think the most fun part of life is to be on a mission up to something with someone else. I believe that deep down, we all want to participate with what God is doing which is, again, not making people nice. It's not necessarily giving people comfort. It's not voting a particular way. It's about teaching people that God's kingdom is available to everyone everywhere, and all life goes better when we listen to him, the king. So, would you pray with me as we dig into this? Jesus, thank you for this clarity. You often, Jesus, were... Um, ambiguous sometimes, mysterious in how you taught in parables and riddles and hints and stories. But in this case, you were not ambiguous. You were direct and clear about what we're here to do. So help us to know what that looks like in a common, ordinary life now, here in La Jolla, in University City, in our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods. Help us to know what it looks like to participate in your mission. And God, would you uh, agitate us the comfortable ways that we've designed our lives, God, you have more for us. So, Holy Spirit of God, would you open us up to hear your voice, to more fully participate with what you're up to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think part of the, uh, um, the there's even voices in my head where this is a, a kind of a dangerous proposition because uh, education is there for a reason. Uh, Getting ordained is actually really essential and appropriate. Uh, There are uh, trainings and certifications in almost all parts of our lives. Uh, uh, Can you imagine even a barista having not been trained? No. We we value competency. Competency is really important. We want people to be competent at their jobs. 
And the idea that we would all be sent out to start discipling other people, there should be some caution, shouldn't there? Like, wait, wait, what, I mean, what, what do we teach and how do we do that? So we're going to look at what Jesus does and how he taught and how he developed people this morning, which is the same way he's been de- developing you and I. What we don't want, of course, is people to misuse their power. We don't want to have any sort of distortion in leadership. We don't want to make disciples that are bizarre or think weird things or think things that aren't of God. Uh, We want everything to be aligned. And we have many, many stories of people, especially in spiritual worlds. I'm sure all of us have a story of some church leader or some experience you've had in church where things have gotten funky at the very least and maybe even a lot worse. I've got lots of those stories. There's uh, uh, power can go to your head. Uh, years ago, when I was a student at USD, I was uh, bumped into a friend one day around lunchtime, and he could, I could tell he was in a, in a rush to get somewhere. And I said, what, what, where are you going? What are you, and we kind of walk in the same way. He said, oh, I, I run the parking committee, the student parking committee, and, I, and I'm a little bit late. I got to get there. I said, what's that? And he said, uh, well, actually, we need more people. I'm the only one right now. Do you want to come? And it's, there's free pizza. And I was like, Sold. So I show up, and then all of a sudden, I am in, I'm a designated person of the USD Student Parking Committee, which means uh, all the rules of enforcement uh, come to us, me and this guy Clark. And then the, the two weeks later, I got my roommate Dave, so it was the three of us for about six months, where we would read the appeals. Students got tickets for parking in the wrong place, the wrong time, and then some of them would write an appeal, and then we would read it and say whether or not they had to pay a fine. And if, uh, if they wanted to, they could come and kind of uh, plead their case in front of us. So it was amazing because within the, f- the first half an hour, uh, I realized we have all the power on campus. It's like the number one currency <laughs> on campus is parking. It's very limited and there's a, a high fines and we have all, it was insane. I couldn't believe that we had the power. And uh, even worse, they fed us. Uh, they fed us and then... Uh, uh, there would sometimes be these cute girls that would come in and start like pleading their case in front of us. So we're like, this is just the best. Like, nah, you don't have to pay for anything. But someone come in kind of hot tempered. We're like, we're going to double your fine. I mean, it was talk about misuse of power. And we found pretty quickly too that we could write appeals to us. <laughs> so I was all of a sudden late to, to, uh, late to class all the time. I didn't care if I got a ticket. I could wave it uh, years later, I, I worked on campus for like 15 years, and I didn't get a ticket for a long time, but uh, finally did one day. And I, I, it was a total mistake, and I remember thinking, well, I could just write a nice letter. I remember how to write the letter to the parking committee that would get you out of it, and so I wrote this kind of like, there's like three points that would kind of be the loopholes for the time and the signage, and, and so I sent it in, and I got a response back like a month later that said, oh, though, you're getting the fine. They said, we saw your rap sheet. We know I had like 19 different tickets when I was a student. They had kept records of them all the time. They're like, no, 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 you're paying the full fine, buddy. We know you. We don't want, we don't want when it comes to having authority, we don't want it to get funky and to go awry. And yet, in this case, learning how to develop other people into disciples is something that all of us have been experiencing. Jesus has been discipling us. He's been discipling you. He's been teaching you how to go ahead and be someone who trains other people to walk in the ways of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, there's a really fantastic story. It's my favorite story of leadership. Uh, And I've used this story in secular businesses to train people how leadership development works. It is absolutely beautiful. Let me read the story. Uh, Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Those are four different tasks, four different things he sent them out to do. Then he gave them specific instructions. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave that town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Uh, 
we can easily read this story and just think, okay, cool. That's, this is a part of the development of the 12 disciples. At Jesus at one point just in this moment kind of sits down and says, okay, uh, you've been following me from village to village, and I've been doing these things and showing you what these things look like. Now it's your turn. I'm going to send you out two by two. And I just want to kind of help us imagine for a second that there's a huddle and there's 12 of them. And these relatively young guys, many, many scholars would think that uh, at least half these guys were in their, in their teenage years, maybe 16 to 19 years old. And, uh, and all of a sudden, well, th- this guy that they've been following and, and seeing him do these extraordinary things, uh, things that no one had ever seen before, he says, your turn. And all we really get in this scene is the instructions, and then they went off and did it. But I just want to kind of imagine for a second that there was a little bit of, like, uh, at least one hand going up. Like, come again? Excuse us? What did you say? And I'm sure there was a, a, a section of them who, because they were young boys, had such arrogance that they didn't know what they didn't know. And maybe that's part of the beauty of this. Uh, so I, I would guess at least half of them were like, cool, we're on it. Uh, I was waiting for this. Uh, y- y- I don't know if you knew this, Jesus, but I've already been doing this on the side anyways. There was at least half of them, and maybe you're like that too. Uh, I've been accused of that over the years, looking more competent than I am. <laughs> People assume that I know what I'm doing. I don't know why. My facial expressions, my tone of voice, uh, I would be on that side. But there's this other side, and I have to believe there's more than one of them in the 12 of these guys, who said, hold on a second, time out. What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? You're, you wanted me to wait, go what? Uh, drive out demons? Confront evil? Uh, cure diseases? Proclaim the kingdom of God? You know what's scarier than demons? Uh, public speaking. Raise your hand if you love public speaking. It's like the number one fear next to dentists. And I would say if, if on that chart was casting out demons, that'd probably be in the top five as well. And uh, healing the sick, curing disease, healing the sick. And then he gives his, these instructions. Don't take any, you, you can't take your notes. Uh, for those of you who've been taking notes, uh, there's no notes. This is a closed book test. There's, you can't bring money. You can't, no credit card. No, you can't Siri that while you're no, asking Alexa uh, what do you do with this kind of demon? You, you, this is all on you. Pop quiz. Go out and do this. And the key part, I think, of this story is the very beginning when Jesus says two words. He gave them power and he gave them authority. Those are actually different, although I think we use them interchangeably. Uh, power is the ability to do something. If you don't have the strength to lift something up, you don't have the power that you need. If, if you don't have, uh, if your phone, anybody's phone ever run out of battery? Isn't it the worst? Like now we, t- I, I mean, we get terrified. I get terrified. If my phone's on 10%, what do I do? If I don't have the power, I can't do something. I can't make a call. I can't look at the map. If you don't have the power in your job, it means you don't have the competency. You haven't been given the training. You actually don't know how to do something. But Jesus gave them power. Well, how did he give them power? Well, we see later on, he sends out the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is infused, embedded in them to go and do the things that he was doing. This is before he's given them the Holy Spirit. So how has he been giving them power? He's been showing them how to do all this. He's been showing them every single day, at this point, likely more than a year. He's been showing them every single day how to cure diseases, how to cast out demons, how to proclaim the kingdom of God to everyone in the village. And they were catching that. They were learning how to do this. By watching him. Authority is different. Authority is the right to do something. Authority is different than power. Power is the ability to do something. Authority is you have the right, maybe even the responsibility to do something. And if you could think about times in your life when you've had uh, authority, like you're supposed to do something, but you don't have the power. That's how I felt when I was uh, was first handed a child. Our oldest son just turned 17 three days ago. And so we were looking at these baby pictures, baby videos of him and telling the story. And my wife remembered that I had never touched a human baby until my son. And I remember thinking, and my wife had a C-section, so we were in the hospital for four days after he was born. And that terrifying moment where they handed us everything and said, it's time for you to go home. And I remember literally thinking like, well, what now? Like, who's going to take care of this now? I have now the responsibility, the authority for this child, and I have no clue what I'm doing. That is not a good vibe. That is not a good feeling. And on the opposite side, maybe you've been in a situation where you know how to do something, 
You know what to do. You know how to fix something, and yet you don't have the name tag. You don't have the title. You don't have the keys. That's how I would always feel sitting in church sometimes, especially 10 years ago. I'm like, gosh, just let me up there, will you? Let me, I, I know how to do this. Give me the keys. Give me the ball. I want to make the pass. I want to make the shot. Jesus gives them both power and authority. And what he's been doing with the disciples, these 12 young men, what he's been doing with them over the course of a year and his relationship with them, he's been giving them lots of care and support. We see glimpses of the interactions that he had with them where he was uh, tender with them, nurturing. He was kind. He knew their story. He wanted to get to know them as their family and, and who they were and what they wanted. He spent time with them and he built a relationship of trust. Isn't that what God does with us? He pursues us, gets to know us, steps into our world, comforts us. That's really what the Holy Spirit's here for, comforter. And he's also, in addition to being comforting, supporting, and nurturing, he's been very challenging to them. No more than this moment. You have what it takes. You have everything you need to go off and do more than you've been doing today. You have all the potential, and I expect you to do it. Great leaders like Jesus have an equal dosage of nurture and kindness and support as well as challenge and demands. Can you think of leaders where you've had all demands and no nurture, no relationship, no warmth, no, no sort of like, like uh, tenderness there? They're terrifying, aren't they? But maybe you've been in a situation where you have just all the warmth and all the kindness, but they don't expect much from you. You don't get much challenge. You need both. We need both. God has been both to you and I. He's been nurturing me, and he's been challenging me. And this morning, the message is not nurture. The message is challenge. Jesus, as I was saying in that prayer, oftentimes speaks in parables, speaks in mystery, speaks in story, in illusions, and he's hinting at things. He's demonstrating things. He's almost being tangential. It's a very Eastern way to teach. But in this moment, when we look at the Great Commission, he is explicitly clear the demands are, are made crystal clear to you and I. This is our role. This is what success looks like in the kingdom of God. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to help you heal, help you grow. But make no mistake, you and I are here to make disciples. You and I are here to develop others. So what, what do we do? There's a, a concept uh, that I heard and stumbled onto years ago. As a pastor who used to be at First Baptist in uh, University City, and it's down the road, a guy named Scott Furrow. Now he's a radio star, if you ever listen to Christian radio. Uh, but Scott Furrow was very into this idea, uh, uh, oikos, not just the yogurt. Pre-yogurt, pre when I first heard about it, oikos is a Greek word that uh, the translation essentially means household. And sociologists have actually used that term, oikos, that uh, to, to understand how kind of like nodes and uh, how communities work. Everybody has an oikos. Uh, an oikos is the uh, kind of 8 to 15 people that we all spend our time around. Every single person has 8 to 15 people that are, are your, it's kind of your oikos. It's your household. It's a mixture likely of your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and you see them more than anybody else. Those 8 to 15 people are just, they're, they're the ones that you would say, I would say, are in your sphere of influence. And we don't often choose them, do we? Uh, the oikos, whether it's the neighbor that always just wants to chat when you're getting the mail, uh, the coworker that you didn't pick, but you're on their team, uh, the in-law that just is now living in the back house, like, we don't always choose our oikos. And yet we have them. The Bible talks, if you see in Acts, uh, as, as Paul, uh, particularly in his missions, would talk a lot about, there's these different households. Uh, 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 and, and that term in there is, is the same term. It wasn't just their family members. It was the eight to, eight to 15 people in their world. So who are we to disciple? Who are we to invest and to develop? I think it's our oikos. So I just want you to start imagining, and you might even want to take a, uh, make a list. Who are your eight to 15 people? Like, like the names, the faces. Who are those people that are in your world? You see them more than anybody else. Uh, you, you might not even like them, but they're there. You can't get rid of them yet. 
And now as, as we uh, head towards communion, what I want to do is lead us, lead you and I, into a reflection and a prayer. Last week, if you were here, we were talking about the Holy Spirit being sent to us, the believers. The, the, the presence of God coming to us. And as much as there is comfort in the presence of God, there is challenge in the presence of God. So, I want to open us up in a, a moment of prayer and reflection. And God, I, I want you to lead us. I, I want you to bring those faces and those names to mind. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to see what it looks like to invest in them in a, in a different kind of way. And I just want to confess, there are people in my oikos that I lean away from. I, I, I don't invest in, I don't stay engaged with them. I, there's something about me, there's something about them, there's something about the dynamic or the history that makes it hard. It makes it hard to imagine that I would be uh, anything than maybe um, like a bystander in their lives. And yet, Holy Spirit, the way you move is you want to move through us. And so I pray, I pray right now for all of us, God, that you would give us the conviction, give us the conviction that we would need to move towards them, to even have an open heart towards them. And maybe the first step is just to pray for them. Pray for those people. So just take a, a, a few seconds. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if for you there's a name that comes to mind, a face that comes to mind, someone that's particularly challenging to you. And I'm just going to uh, give us a, a few moments of quiet for you to say a prayer that God would bless that person, bring his goodness to that person. Amen. Just a few weeks after I uh, became a Christian when I was in, uh, a sophomore in college, I was, uh, ran into a, a person on, on campus who said, hey, uh, we, need, we need new Bible study leaders, and we wanted to know if you'd like to be a Bible study leader. And I said, I don't know how you guys like, typically vet your people, but um, my Bible still has plastic on it. And the idea of me, I mean, I remember saying that. I said, I, I don't know the Bible. I don't, that, that doesn't make any sense. Did you mean go to a Bible study? They said, no, no, we want you to lead a Bible study. And I said, that's an absurdity. And they said, yeah, we know, but we want you to lead it anyways. And I said, okay. And they said, don't worry. You'll figure out what to do. What a plan. And I remember the first night I went, and there was uh, 32 freshmen, and me. Like, hi, guys. My understanding was these people, most of them, most of these students were showing up. They'd been Christians their entire lives. Most of them had. Most of them had sat in youth group and, and been to camp. And, and I had just read the Bible, like, for the first time. I didn't know who, at that point, didn't know who Paul was, Moses. I didn't, you, you can give me a quiz of the top ten. I would have I failed it. Uh, I didn't know a thing. And this guy came up to me right after. I, I kind of followed the worksheet that I was given. And a guy came up to me right after and said, hey, um, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't really know God. I don't know the Bible at all. But I, I just feel like I, I, I want to figure it out. If God's real, I want to figure that out. And he goes, I, I was told that you could teach me how to pray. And I, and I was like, me? I just started that. I mean, I didn't say it, but I, So I looked at him. I said, you know what? I heard this thing on the radio when I was driving somewhere, and I heard this pastor say, there's this thing called the Lord's Prayer. And, and this guy had been to Catholic school his whole life. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I know the Lord's Prayer. I go, I heard that that's a really good template to follow to kind of lead your prayers. And you can kind of like walk through it line by line. And he looks at me, he's like, bro, that's so good. <laughs> that was 23 years ago. I'm going to call that friend, one of my best friends in the world, John, later. I told him that like a month ago, and he goes, dude, I still pray that way. And I didn't tell him for months later that I was, I mean, I made that up. I, I just completely pulled that out of thin air. 
And that's still how he prays. My point in telling you that story is it was true. You'll figure it out as you go. If you feel intimidated to lean towards, move towards uh, somebody in your life, and you're thinking, how do, I, how do I help them see who God is? How do I help them uh, uh, sense that God is real? How do I teach them how to reorganize their life the way God would want to? You will figure it out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comforts you, but also equips you with the power and authority that you need to be the person that makes the kind of influence in other people's lives. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to have the servers come on up. There's a couple stations, uh, two in the front. I think one in the back. Is that true? Yes. And uh, I want to read this. It's, it's from 1 Corinthians. Uh, the Apostle Paul, as he's moving uh, uh, the years after Jesus' life and ministry, uh, Paul is doing his best to help provide organization structure to the church. And, and the first and early practice that the uh, Christian believers would do would be to get together to celebrate communion. And this is how Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, talked about it and explained it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He said this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I was warned that that would get messy. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for what you did for us. And inasmuch as what you did for us was to give us great comfort, to heal our souls, God, the communion, communing with you, also includes us participating in your mission. So I pray this morning, as we come to participate and and take the elements, I I pray, God, that you would do something in us. Uh, Give us clarity that we need. Give us the encouragement that we need, the, the courage to be the kinds of people that say yes to you. Yes to your invitation. Yes to your mission. Yes to being the kinds of people that make a difference and impact in other people's lives. Pray this in your name. Amen. So as we turn to worship, you're welcome to come and receive the elements uh, as you feel ready.
God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you, remind you how much he loves you. And may God the Spirit agitate you to be the kind of person who would lean towards the people in your life, giving them what they need to experience him. Amen.